Well, this morning we're going to continue our series on the godly disciplines, practicing the godly disciplines. And we've talked about why they're called that, because if you want to be godly, you got to practice them. And they're disciplines because you got to discipline yourself to do it. And so let's pray and we'll get into our text this morning, which is exceedingly fun. And uh, you'll see it's great. Pray with me. Father, we come before you as thankful people just to be able to worship together, to sing songs both new and old which tell your truth, and Father, to celebrate the Lord's Supper which has been passed down through the centuries, even millennia, from that time when Jesus in the upper room, celebrated it with his disciples. And we are part of that unbroken chain of believers who, remembering you and your death, have celebrated not only your death, but, Father, the time when we will eat again that supper with you in your kingdom. Think of others in the body, especially our senior saints who so bodies are growing old and giving way and their eyesight and other things. Father, we know that um, this is to be expected as our outer man decays, yet our spirit is being renewed day by day. And yet we're thankful that our hope is not in this life only. The Father, that uh, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And after this life comes glory. And Father, we thank you for that hope. And Father, we also want to pray for our college students who are away at the Resolved Conference. We pray, Father, that you would bless them, that we pray for the speakers, that you would just help them to preach with power and conviction, and the Holy Spirit would attend your word, that hearts would be transformed, lives changed, souls saved, um, saints sanctified. Father, bring them also back safe and, Father, energized and equipped to live for you in this dark world. Father, we ask also for the holiness of Calvary Bible Church. Help us to walk in holiness before you as Jesus prayed, as he taught his disciples how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May holiness start with us personally and corporately as a body, that we might be a great light, receive your blessings, and impact the world for Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in this series on the godly disciplines, and we're trying to figure out how, over the course of time, we can um, grow in strength in our walk with the Lord and our closeness with the Lord and overcoming sin and receiving blessings from God and loving Him and giving Him glory. And in order to do this, we have to follow the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy and us in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. It doesn't just happen by accident. And as we come to our text this morning, which is Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. So if you haven't turned there, you can find that text. Um, as we come to our text this morning, Joshua 1, 8, we have a very fascinating passage. It's The background is great, and I wish I could just kind of take you on an Old Testament survey to get to the spot. But in short, Moses has just died. And... The people of Israel, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, are about to enter in. And God has asked Joshua to be the new guy, to lead the people. And this is scary. It's scary because Joshua is leading about 2 million people who are not a warring people, who are not trained, who um, have little experience doing battle into enemy territory to either destroy and or drive out of the land warring people, pagan warring people who have been entrenched in the land for 400 years. 400 years. And imagine being Joshua and you have that huge responsibility and this is really the context of our passage. So if you look in your Bible at Joshua chapter 1, Verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 9, and then we're going to make a few observations and then get into verse 8 primarily for this morning. But notice what the text says. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. 
Now, therefore, arise and cross this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This text is just loaded with fun stuff, but we're just going to look at a fragment of it this morning relating to the discipline of reading and meditating on the word. But I want you to show show you a cool inspired gadget in the text and it's up on the screen you can see it there um, it is called a chiasm a chiasm this is kind of complicated inspired structure that god through the holy spirit inserted into the bible so that people couldn't say oh people you know put the bible together and assembled it over the course of time no no, in the Bible, there is very complicated structures, and one of them is called a chiasm. It's where you're reading in the Bible, and all of a sudden you get to a section where you notice two similar phrases. Now, whenever you see that, you need to ask yourself, oh, I wonder what's in between. Look at, look at uh, verse 5, where it says... In the middle of the verse, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now look at the last part of verse 9. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you see how that says basically the same thing? Then if you go in, and I've marked it on the screen there so you can see A, A prime, B, B prime. You can see the next section, which is, if you look at verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And then the second to last part of verse 9, or the first part of verse 9, uh, the second to last part of the chiasm, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Notice how those two lines basically say the same thing. Now look towards the beginning of verse 7. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Then look at the middle of verse 8. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Now look at the beginning of verse 8. This is the center of what is of the chiasm. And this is the emphasis, the primary inspired you know, bullseye of the passage. And it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And it's cool that the Holy Spirit stuck this in there. And when you're reading your Bible, when you notice repetitions of thought, just kind of go back and see if right after the first mention, there's something similar to right before the last mention. And a lot of times you'll see these chiasms built into the text. Now, it forces our attention on repetitious things. Twice, God's presence is promised. Twice, he, uh, Joshua is commanded to be strong and courageous. Twice, he is commanded to obey the word of God so he will have success. And all of this surrounds the jewel of the text, which is be speaking and meditating on the word day and night. Now, I want you to think about it. What if you were Joshua? And you're ready to lead, you know, a couple million people into the promised land. And, and you're, the people of Israel aren't, you know, warring people. They're not, 
you know, highly trained in military strategy or anything. They're, they're just nomads. And you're going to go into a territory where the people there are experts at warfare that have been dug into their cities and stuff for 400 years. And God says, I want you to get them out of the land. Now, if you're God, what are you going to give Joshua? You're going to give him a strategy, military strategy handbook? You're going to give him, let's set up a boot camp for all the young men to teach them warfare? You're going to give them some blueprints for all the most advanced uh, weaponry uh, so that they can overcome their enemies? You're going to give them strength like Samson, wisdom like Solomon? I mean, what are you going to give them? The Bible. The Bible. And you may think to yourself, well, that, that, that doesn't seem all that practical. I mean, what are you going to go out there, quote verses to them? You see, it's very odd that here they're going on this huge military conquest and God says, no, here's the key to success. Read the Bible and do what it says. That is very fascinating. As a matter of fact, it is the exact same thing that all Christians need to do in their life. Read the Bible and do what it says and they will have success. There's so many people who just, they know they can hear the words and they hear you say those words, but they just can't seem to really believe it so as to do it. That really, are, are you sure that if I just spend time reading and meditating on the word that it's actually really going to really do anything? Yes, it's going to do something. You remember when Paul talks about the believer's armor? There's only one offensive piece of the armor. Everything else is for protection or mobility. And that one thing is what? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, Paul defends his apostolic authority against attacks by false teachers. And this is what he says. For though we walk... In the flesh, and he just says, and what that means is, it's not the flesh is the sinful part of us, but just as mortals in this world. So he's saying, as we walk in the flesh, or as mortals in this world, we do not war according to the flesh. He says, we're not warring according to the flesh. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical weapons. He says, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, if you just stop there, you might think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to get some sort of like, uh, like quote some Bible verses and all of a sudden this building's going to fall down like Jericho or, or what, what does that mean? Well, then he goes on to describe what kind of fortresses he's talking about. And he says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. He says, this is what we're going to do. He says, as Christians, as we're out there trying to share the gospel, we encounter fortresses of unbelief, fortresses of false doctrine, fortresses of worldly uh, thoughts and ideologies. And you know what? We knock them down. Not with grenade launchers and automatic weapons and tanks and bazookas and jets. We knock them down with this book. With the truth of God's word, which is divinely powerful to destroy those things. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, we all know what happens. In, in the spring, it rains, it rains, it soaks into the ground, the seed germinates and everything becomes green. We see it here. I mean, it looks like New Zealand here for two weeks and then it gets brown. He says, then so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. 
and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Have you ever, you know, maybe shared the gospel with somebody or talking to them about the Lord, about Christ dying on the cross for their sins, their, their need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to save them. And as you're explaining all this, they're kind of looking at you like deer in a headlight. And you're thinking, hello, is anyone home? And they kind of look, there's like not really a response. And you're thinking, hmm, it doesn't seem to be working. And there's no immediate response. They don't break down. They don't repent. They're just like, it's not going in. But believe me, it's going in. The reason they have that look on their face is because you've just run them through. And they're in some spiritual inner pain. They may not show it. It may not look like they, they were affected. I, one time I uh, married this unbelieving couple. And, and, you know, before when I had more time, I'd say, yeah, I'll, I'll marry you. But you have to jump through the hoops. And really with that man, I'm going to share the gospel with you every single week for five or six weeks and tell you how to have a good marriage according to the scriptures. And so I just kept sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel. And every time I did, they just kind of looked at them like they were just kind of like, I thought, okay, well, um, you know, their blood's not on my head. Well, 15 years later, they both come to Christ. You know what they say? We never forgot what you told us. We never forgot. I thought about that so many times. And what happened is, is the, the woman knew somebody who had, who had a young man who went on a car ride with some other young men and there was this freak little thing that happened and one of them got stabbed and died. And when she went to the funeral, all those words I had talked about all just came to her mind and it broke her. That was the end of it. God used it. So sowing seed, it always accomplishes the purpose God has for it. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like a fire? A fire that, you know, consumes and like a hammer that shatters rock? And the implied answer is, of course it is. I mean, you know this. If you, all you have to do is be around a bunch of unbelievers and they're talking about how much they drank and their immoral relationships and say, well, the Bible says, and I'll go, <sighs> you know, and all of a sudden, man, their fangs come out and their claws and it's like you've just whacked them with a hammer. Why? Because as Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, right? It is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You just say, well, the Bible says, and then they're like, ow! And then they hate you for it. I was just, I was just quoting the Bible. You're so self-righteous. You think you're so... I mean, people, that's the response. Because what you've done is you've run them through. And so here, God says, Joshua, you're going into the land. You're going to have to go against all these worrying people. And here's the secret of success. I want you to get in the word and think about it day and night and do what it says. That is so radical. That is so not of the world. That is almost hard to believe. Are you sure you would think yes? Why? Because God didn't want Joshua and he doesn't want us relying on our strength our intelligence, our skills, our physical weapons. He wants us to what? Rely on him. You know, they could have just gone out into battle against huge numbers with rocks and a stick in their hand and would have still won if they trust in the Lord. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's, right? Because he sends his angels to make it happen. So that those who are weak and those who are inexperienced and those who are inadequate in themselves can find victory. And so Joshua's primary concern was to be the word of God because it's not by strength. It's not by might, but it's what? By God's spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. As Solomon says in Proverbs 21, verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Yeah, you're going to prepare your horse. You're going to put the saddle on it, its armor and war paint or whatever. 
But I want to tell you, the battle belongs to the Lord. It, and if you see this all the way through the Old Testament, don't you? That when the people were trusting in the Lord and obeying the Lord, what happened? They won. You can see it in First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings. I mean, it's just all the way through. And then as soon as they what? Deny the Lord. As soon as they rebel against the Lord, they don't trust the Lord, they lose. Even when there are greater numbers. They also win when they're far less. I mean, who would say, okay, Gideon, you've got this giant army. Here's the thing. Yeah, just pick 300 guys out. Yeah, thin down the ranks to where it's impossible for you to win. And then I'll put them in a confusion and you'll take them out. I mean, that is not a strategy you learn at the military academy. But when it comes from God, God's word is sufficient. And so what we want to look at this morning, and we're going to just do this through the whole series, is just look really at kind of the doctrine and meaning of the text, and then we'll look at the application. I'm trying to give you a lot of applications so you can figure out how to do this. So let's just look at the doctrine and meaning of Joshua 1.8. I'm just trying to make this simple. We're just going to go through the passage and just show you some cool stuff here. Remember that at this time... The Bible consisted of the first five books of Moses called the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses. You know, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all there was. Joshua is the next book. And so when he says, look at Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law, he's just referring to the Bible because that's all there was. That's all there was to the Bible at this point, the written word of God. And then we see a little prohibition that it shall not depart from your mouth. And this is an active verb, which means... To really um, always not have it depart, which means to always have it in your mouth. And the mouth is the instrument of speaking. He's saying, Joshua, you're the leader of the people. I always want you speaking the word of God to them. I want you to speak to them my words. That's what he's after. Well, there's an implication here, isn't there? Like if I came up to you and said, so quote me the book of Zephaniah. And you're going to go, I, I don't know it. Why? Because it's not in there. Well, how are you going to get it in there so you can speak it to me? Well, I'd, I'd have to read it and, and a whole bunch and memorize it. Okay, that's the whole point. You cannot always be speaking the word unless you're always what? Ingesting the word. If the word is not going in, it can't come out. That's the whole point. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is the most important part of the entire series for the whole summer on the godly disciplines. God's word is the most important resource you have for growing in godliness. It is the number one. That's where we're going to spend three weeks on this. It is the primary way that God distributes grace to you. The grace of salvation comes from the word. The grace to grow in Christ comes from the word. The grace of knowing God comes from the word. The grace of knowing the future comes from the word. The word of God is the primary way God blesses us. So you've got to get into the word. I talked to a man uh, not too long ago who and his wife came up to I think his wife drug him up to me and said, yeah, you know, we're, we want to know about this whole reading the Bible thing and you know, my, my husband, she's trying to be nice, but I could tell she was saying, could you beat up on my husband for me? Um, she said, no, my husband, um, you know, kind of thinks that, uh, you know, he's got a different view. What, honey, what did you explain to him? And he said, you know, I went to Bible college. I know the Bible and I don't really feel like I need to, uh, you know, be reading all the time. I need to love my wife and love my kids and, you know, live for the glory of God. And I said, well, that, that sounds good. Um, but you always need to be ingesting, reading, meditating. He says, well, I, I do that. I do that. He says, I, I, you know, I went to Bible college and, you know, I know the Bible. And I could, I almost started laughing. I was trying, like, I was trying to maintain some soberness. Because what he was saying is, I know the Bible so well, I don't need to read it. But somehow he missed the hundreds the hundreds of scripture that say to read it, read it day and night, to dwell on it day and night, to memorize it, to think about it, to ponder it, all of those things. I mean, they're all the way through the Bible, either explicitly or implicitly in the text. And somehow 
in his great knowledge, he missed it all. No, you got to be in the word. You can't just, you know, learn a little bit about the Bible and then say, oh, yeah, I've got it down. Well, just come to me. I'll ask you a few questions you don't know the answer to. And it just struck me as funny that his own statement proved my point. He didn't know the Bible because he didn't know he was supposed to study it day and night, meditate on it day and night. And you can't do that unless you're constantly taking it in. And then we see here, look at the positive exhortation in verse 8, which flows from the implication of always speaking the word, but you shall meditate on it. Meditate on it. It being the word of God. The word meditate means to muse or consider or ponder or reflect or cogitate or whatever. It's actually a word that is sometimes used of the growling of lions or the cooing of doves. And you say, well, why is that? Well, because um, it's like this. When uh, Let's say you eat something that's really good. And when you eat it, you go, mm. you don't even think about doing that, does it? do you? I mean, you didn't say, well, I'm now going to kind of moan weird. <laughs> you just kind of go, hmm, why? Because as you eat that, you're thinking to yourself, man, this is fabulous. And then, hmm. Or somebody comes up to you and says, hey, did you hear about this? And they tell you about some tragic thing. And you go, oh. Did you think to yourself, I need to go, oh. No, because when you bring that information into your head and you're crunching on it, you're thinking about it, it just produces groaning. And so this is kind of the idea about it. When you get into the word, it should produce in you a kind of active response. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. But meditation is a lost art. And we know it's a lost art. You know, it used to be people used to think a lot. But now we don't think because when you want an answer, you just type it into the search engine and you hit enter and then you get 28,000 hits and some contradicting and you just look at it and you just get an answer and move on. That's like, okay, you know, I want to find out how many, you know, millimeters in a mile and one quarter you can type it in. It tells you like a cool. Now I know. Then you move on. The other day, my gas dryer broke. And so I typed in, you know, how to fix a gas dryer. I pull up a video. The guy's actually fixing my exact same dryer. So I take it out into the garage, put my laptop down there, hit play, listen to it, stop it, do that work, hit play, do a little bit, stop, do the work, hit play. Pretty soon it was fixed. I had to order some parts in between, but yeah, it was fixed. See, and I don't want to keep that stuff in my head. So that's okay. You know, you're going to fix your dryer fine. I don't have a whole bunch of drier information in my head. I'll probably remember it better in my Bible. But still, I don't want to because the Bible is far more important than anything else. Any other information, the Bible is the most important thing. That's why when the psalmist speaks of the blessed man in Psalm 1 verse 2, he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He delights in this. He delights in it. But you know, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes work. It's why Solomon, when he's writing to his son in Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 says this, Listen to the exertion that he says you need to put forth in order to get at God's truth. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden gold or treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Once you put all that effort in, then you start getting the gems. You know, if I were to say to you, you know, just by the way... um, Somebody told me that they had lost a 30-carat flawless diamond uh, in the children's building somewhere. And uh, they said they've got a lot of them. 
and uh, anybody who finds it can have it. It's worth about $30 million. If you, you know, can go find it, you can. But after the service, there'd be a lot of you going, I think I need to go to the bathroom. I mean, you'd be all sneaking out. Pretty soon I'd be in here to empty. She'd think, man, I'm going for the treasure. Why? You would be searching for diligently. Why? Because it's valuable. It's valuable. And when God's word is seen that way by a Christian, they dig, they study, they read. Why? Because God's word will change their life. It will help them get to know God. It will bless them. Many Christians get into the habit of of just kind of blowing through their Bible reading. They go, yeah, I'm supposed to read the Bible. The pastor's going to be, you know, drilling into me again on Sunday. So I better read my Bible so I can, you know, get over the guilt factor. And so they go, okay, okay, I'll just get up and read a couple passages as fast as you can. Mm. And, but they don't really think about it. They're just kind of like, yeah, I got my Bible loading. Check, okay, off to my second cup of coffee. That's not good. That's not good. I mean, what if your wife, husbands, came to you and said, oh, honey, I really need to talk to you about something important. And you said, okay, now's a good time. And so she's pouring out her heart to you and she's saying, yeah, I just feel this. And, and she's pouring that. And all the while you're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Are you done yet? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then as soon as she finishes, you go, okay, fine, and walk away. You think that's going to cut it with your wife? No. No. And some of you are probably thinking to yourself, so that's a problem? Yeah, it's your problem. What your wife is looking for is for you to hear her, listen to her, think about what she's saying, meditate on her words so that you understand her. Amen, women? See, see, there you go. Um, But no disrespect to women, the Bible is more important than anything your wife might say to you and anything anybody else might say to you because it's God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, speaking to you through this book. And that is why when we go to the Bible, it's so critical to make that a habit so God can talk to us. We talk to God in prayer. We've talked about that for two weeks. Now, this is about how God talks to us. This is how we listen to God. You know, what happens is, is we, we read the word, but sometimes we just kind of just kind of just get it over with. It's just a task to just get over. We aren't even thinking about what we're reading. We aren't even asking ourselves anything. We're just kind of read, 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 read. Okay, I did it. That's not good. We need to chew the cud. That's how somebody described meditation. Do you know what chewing the cud is? Certain, certain animals, uh, like cows, have a four-stage digestive process. And because they eat a lot of stuff like sagebrush and stuff that's you know hard and dry and doesn't have a lot of just quickly available nutrients, grains with waxy coatings and things like that, that a lot of times, they, if they just were to eat it, they, they would starve to death. They wouldn't get enough nutrients for their huge bulk. And so what happens is, is they chew it up and swallow it. And then it comes back up in the form of what is called a ruminant. And it's soft. And then they can chew it up. And then they can get the nutrients they need to survive. And the word ruminant is the word we get our English word ruminate from, which is a synonym of meditate. It means to chew over again. In the Latin is what it means. And some animals do that so they can get out of their kind of cheesy food source, sufficient nutrients. Well, in the same way, when you read the Bible, if you just kind of blow through it, that's like the difference between smelling food and eating food. You know, you know, you may have a great dish and it may smell fabulous, but I'm telling you, you will starve to death if you don't eat some. And a lot of Christians out there, they're just kind of reading the Bible as fast as they can. And it's like they're, they're getting the smell of it, but... They're not chewing it. They're not getting the nutrients out of it because they aren't meditating upon it. And how often should we meditate upon the text? Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Which in the Hebrew means day and night. All the time. You should should always be thinking about God's word, how it applies to your work and your play and your situation and your driving down the freeway and whatever it is. 
This is why Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And notice what happens when you do this. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You ingest the word and what happens? It comes out in your life. It comes out in how you live. What is the great commandment? Go out there and make disciples. And then do what? Teaching them to observe all God commanded. All that Christ commanded, you teach them. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2? 2, 2? The things which you have heard from me and the presence of many witnesses. I got them from God. I gave them to you. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And here we are today. Because that happened in a chain of events passed down through the ages. And now we are in the line of all those people who passed down truth, who passed down truth. And here we are. And I'm passing some on to you. If you read through the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, the number one mentioned thing that leaders are to do is preach and teach. Why? Because that's how people get saved and that's how people grow in grace. The word of God is the primary means of saving people and the primary means of growing in grace, of getting to know God, of knowing his plan for the future, of overcoming temptation. I mean, it's, it's the word, man, that does it. And that's why, as a Christian, you need to make it a habit to just get in the Word. You need to become like Bunyan. Spurgeon described him in these words. Why? Speaking of Bunyan, this man is the living Bible. Prick him anywhere, and his blood is bit blind. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. End quote. That's how you need to be. You scratch yourself, and John 3.16 leaks out. It's like, what's that? Oh, In James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, turn there, turn to James 1. I just want you to see this. It, it parallels our text very closely. James is speaking to persecuted believers in Jerusalem. And he wants them to understand that even though there is persecution against believers, they need to stand up for the faith in their hostile environment. And this is what he says. Starting in verse 22 of James chapter 1. And listen how close this text parallels our text. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, notice how he now substitutes law for mirror, the law of liberty and bides by it, notice obeys it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Our text says we'll have success. The whole point here is this, when you want to, you know, before you came here this morning, you're all looking pretty good. I'm sure you did not just wake up in the morning and run by the mirror. No, you have to stop, and you can't just stop from a long way off, right? You approach the mirror. The closer you get, the scarier it gets. Because the more flaws you see, the more messed up hair. I was telling the first service, if you have an egg beater hairdo, if you go to bed, do you wake up with it smooth? I don't know. Um, but anyways, I usually get the egg beater thing if I let my hair grow out a little bit more. But yeah, the whole point is, is as you approach the mirror, you see the flaws, right? You see those things in the mirror that you need to correct, and that's how the word of God is. If you just blow by the word of God, you're not going to see those character flaws. You're not going to see those sins in your life. You're going to forget what kind of person you really are, a sinner who needs God's grace. And so you're going to go away and you're not going to grow in godliness because you're going to forget what kind of person you are. But if you stop and you look intently at the word of God and you meditate upon it, what's going to happen? You're going to see your sins. You're going to understand your sins and you're going to understand the solution to them. That's really the same reason why God is telling jo Joshua to do what he needs to do here. And if you look at the end, towards the end of Joshua, verse, verse eight, 1 verse 8, it says, For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. This is why you need to constantly be reading and meditating on the word. Because it will make you prosperous. It will give you biblical success. Now, what, what is biblical success? Well, it's not 
fame, part, you know, uh, popularity, uh, money, how many possessions you have. Biblical success is knowing God and obeying God out of love to him for his glory according to his word. You understand God's word and because you love God and desire to give him glory, you obey him. That's what biblical success is. And sometimes in this world, um, you may be hugely successful and they may cut off your head and put it on a platter. That's what they did to John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of women. Jeremiah preached, did everything God told him, was hugely successful and they persecuted him his whole life and then killed him. But in heaven, you're going to see how successful those people are who live for the glory of God according to his word out of love to God. Okay, having put all that, that's just kind of a little bit of what's in the text. I'm telling you, there's more there, but that's all we're going to deal with now. I want to talk about some real practical things. How do you, as a believer, get to the place where you read and meditate on the word? There's other things. We're going to talk about them in weeks to come, but let's just talk about these two things. Now, This is mostly for those of you who aren't faithfully reading and meditating on the scriptures. Some of you may be great readers, but you're not meditators. Others of you aren't even reading or meditating. Or maybe you're just periodically doing it and you haven't developed good faithfulness in that. So you're the ones I'm talking about. If you're already doing it, then I encourage you to excel still more and help other people to do so. But here's two simple steps, two step game plan. One, read the word. Amazing, isn't it? But you know what? That is such an easy little exhortation. But how hard it is. It's so easy to watch TV or surf the internet or read the paper or read a magazine or do anything but read the Bible. That's because Satan knows this is the primary means that God is going to bless your life. And so he does everything to distract you. Everything to postpone it. Everything he can to get you to stop reading the word because he knows if you read the word, then you're going to grow. You're going to get saved. You're going to know God. You're going to know the future. And it's going to totally undermine his desire to deceive you and lead you into sin. And so you can do anything easier than pray and read the word. Because God wants you to do that. Satan does not want you to do that. This is why it takes some discipline. It takes discipline. Now, I, granted, and I just want to say this, I, I, I can't go into all the different kinds of... Some of you, you know, I have dyslexia, and so reading isn't super easy for me. Um, some of you have, you know, can't see very well and whatever, so, you know, you can substitute reading for listening to the Bible, you know, audio versions or whatever. But we're talking about reading because that's the primary way that most of us get it in. Now, right now, we have a generation of people who don't read. There used to be a time when that's all anybody did and then radio came along and people started reading less and TV came along and people started reading less and the internet came along and people started reading less still. I sat there in front, actually I stood there, in front of my seminary students, there's 25 students and I asked them, how many of you were kind of avid book readers before coming to seminary? Everybody in seminary is an avid book reader. But before that, and one guy raised his hand out of the 25. You see, we are a watching generation. And you say, well, what's the difference? I mean, what's the difference if you watch it or you read it? Well, when you read, your mind fills in all the gaps, creates all the pictures, all the smells, all the situation. It's really active. It's just putting all that stuff together. But when you watch, it fills in all the pictures and all the sounds. And that's why they call watching TV vegging out because your brain vegetates. Do you know that? But when you read, it increases your vocabulary. It increases your ability to read. It encourages your creativity. It just, it just it expands. And so if you're watching a whole bunch of stuff on the screen, it's going to hinder you in your creativity, in your vocabulary, in your ability to speak. Because TV, video, movies, things like that, they thwart those things rather than help those things. And like all the godly disciplines, if you are doing little, if any, Bible reading, start small. 
Just start small. Don't say, well, man, I'm convicted now. I'm reading my Bible four hours a day. I mean, that would be good if you could keep it up. But try for 10 minutes a day. Like all the disciplines, the hardest part is becoming consistent. Then you can expand after that. First, become consistent. Just say, I'm going to read my Bible 10 minutes a day. Of course, you're going to have to add that to your 10 minutes of secret prayer. So now we're up to 20 whole minutes you're giving to God. It's huge. But think about this. You say, well, how exactly do you go about it? I mean, what do I do? You know, this book's big and I don't really understand very much of it. And I'm a new believer. You know, where do I start? So I just start in Genesis. And I've done that before. But when I got to Leviticus, it was a nightmare. I didn't know what. All the fat of the kidneys kind of shocked me and scared me. And I don't want to do that. Um, you know, how do I, how would I do here? Well, this is what you do. If you're just starting out and you're trying to get some consistency, just read anything you want. Skip around. Read any book you want. I mean, everything's new if you don't know anything. So just read anything. I would recommend getting a study Bible. You know, you can get a MacArthur study Bible for several different versions, let's say. And, and if you don't know something, you can read down and learn a little about, about it in the footnote. But just learn to just read. You know, you know I want to read about some prophecy stuff and read the book of Daniel or Revelation or something. Just read anything. Just get familiar with it first. Just read something you like. Go as slow as you want. Don't worry how much space you cover. Just read something and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Just read it and just, ah, that's interesting. Even if it's four or five verses in 10 minutes, it's like, okay, just, that's okay. Read the word. Read the word. Now, you get a little more ambitious as you begin to develop a habit. You know, I want to try reading through the Bible in a year. There are, there are schedules, all sorts of ones. You can just get them off the internet. You can get them out of the church office. You can buy Bibles that are through the year Bible where you just, it's all divided up, has little markers, and you can do that. Read through the Old Testament, you know, uh, a little bit in the morning, maybe the New Testament at night. Um, switch back and forth. There's a lot of different plans out there. You can read one chapter of Proverbs a day, which is really fun because, you know, even if you miss a day, you just look at your watch or look at the calendar and you find out what's the date today and then just read that chapter of Proverbs because there's 31 chapters. There's, you know, 30 or 31 days in a month. And you just, you do that. It's cool. Read five Psalms a day. There's 150 Psalms. So if you read five a day, you'll get through the book of Psalms in one month. It's cool. That's very cool. So the first day you read Psalm 1 through 5, then 6 through 10, then 11 through 15. Yeah, and just do that and go through and just read it. Put a little marker in there and read. You'll have read through the book of Psalms. Here's a modification of the five Psalms a day thing that I kind of like. This is, this is a fun one that someone taught me after I told them about the other thing I did. Here, is, here it is. See if you can follow me. There's 150 Psalms, right? Now, if you were to break the book of Psalms up into five equal pieces. That would be five 30 Psalm sections. Because there's 150, five times 30 is 150, okay? All right, so you'd have Psalms 1 through 30, 31 through 60, 61 through 90, 91 through 120, and 121 through 150. So you have those five sections, okay? Now, this is what's cool. Whatever, whatever day of the, the month it is, let's say it's the first day of the month, you read Psalm 1, 31, 61, 91, 121. The next day, Psalm 2, 32, 62, 92, 122. The next day, Psalm 3, you got it? Um, figure it out. Anyways, it's pretty easy. And what's neat about it is then instead of just reading, you'll be reading from different books in the book of Psalm, the Psalms actually has um, five books in it, and they aren't, you know, neatly divided up into 30 book sections. However, most days you'll, you'll uh, every day you'll be reading from multiple books, some days a lots, like four or five different books of the book of Psalms, and you'll get different kinds of Psalms. It's very cool. Try it. That's the way I like to read the Psalms. Um, this is something I would recommend. On When you get to Psalm 19, you just pass it by. Because that one's going to break the bank, unless it's your day off. Um, and, you know, before you're going, just skip Psalm 119. And whenever you get to the 31st of the month, 
you've already read through everything else, then on the 31st, read just Psalm 19. Or if you're just going to do it for one month and move on to something else, after you do it one month, then just skip over Psalm 19. And then on that next day, read Psalm 119. And then you'll have read the whole book of Psalms. And you won't have to worry about that one breaking the bank on the day when you get to it. Here's another thing. Try reading through the Bible, you know, Take it, take sections of, you know, three to five, six chapters, There's, especially like the New Testament books. Do you realize that a lot of those books are just, you know, three or five, you know, six chapters long? Let's say you go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is five or six chapters long. And so you decide I'm going to read Ephesians. So you read it all the way through. Now, in this instance, you are kind of plowing through. You aren't going really slow and just kind of cogitating on it because there's a whole different thing. You'll get it. And so read it all the way through. And the next day, do the same thing. And the next day, do the same thing. And the next day, do the same thing for 30 days in a row. Pretty soon, you'll have a lot of Ephesians mulling around in your head, and you'll be able to meditate on it. As a matter of fact, you'll start getting the book memorized after doing it 30 days in a row. If you have a bigger book, like the book of Romans, divide it up into like, you know, five or six chapter sections. So you would read Romans 1 through 5, 30 days in a row. Then you'd read Romans 6 through 10, 30 days in a row. Then you'd read Romans 11 through 16, 30 days in a row. And in three months, you'll have read the book of Romans 30 times. If you did that faithfully, in three years, you'll have read through the New Testament 30 times. Whoa. And you know what? It just proves this point. Faithfulness is what gets God's word in your heart. A little bit every day will just make you just, uh, you will be amazed. One of the things the elders do is on Tuesday mornings, we meet, we read the scriptures and pray. We read, you know, four or five chapters. And we have gone from Genesis, and I think, uh, I don't know, we're, I think we're finishing up Acts now or something. Uh, we're just like plowing through it. We're only doing it one day. And it's amazing to see how, just with faithfulness, how we're just moving through the Bible at four chapters a whack. Well, if you're doing that every day, you're going to get God's word in your heart. Don't, don't think that, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really have, you know, a great mind. I was, Listen, if, if you read something 30 times, something's bound to stick. <laughs> and even if you forgot it, the Holy Spirit can say, listen, I'm dredging it up from the deep. Okay, because you've been exposed to it and I'm bringing it up. And we all know that happens too. You start sharing the gospel with somebody, all of a sudden all these verses, like, I I forgot you knew that one. And all of a sudden it comes out. Why? Because you heard it or you read it and now it comes out. So yeah, find some way. Just get in the word and read and read and read and read and read. If you wonder what I do, a lot of people, they come up and go, what do you do, Pastor? I do some of all this and sometimes I just read things and sometimes when I can't sleep at night, I just get up and say, okay, I can't sleep. I'm going to read through the entire book of Psalms. I try and do it. And you know what? I got Psalm 83, 84. It's like, okay, I'm ready to go nine eight now. Yeah, just, you know, do that. Instead of turning on the TV and vegetating, why don't you read the word until you drop dead? Another thing I do is I have a cool little Bible program which allows me to construct my own um, reading schedules. So this year I... I I constructed a reading schedule for this year where I read through the book of Genesis eight times, Psalms once, Proverbs once, and all the letters to the churches once. So in other words, I read through Genesis, then Psalms, Genesis, then Proverbs, Genesis, Acts and Romans, Genesis, First and Second Corinthians, Genesis, you get it. So I just did it, and I can do that, and you just hit the button, and it tells you what to read, and there's a little marker on my computer that says, read now, and you read down, you click it off, and then it goes away and doesn't hassle you anymore, and if you forget, it says, hey, you haven't read your Bible today. John Barnfather does that to me too. Okay, so we text each other about that. But yeah, be willing to sacrifice sleep and entertainment and time so you can read your Bible. Get to the place where you say, you know what, I read my Bible. This is what I do as a Christian. And if something beyond your control interrupts your time, then you just start thinking, okay, when am I going to fit it in? Today. And you get it in. You know, I was just talking to a guy who got stranded in... Shanghai. And he was in the, the airport and he just said, yeah, I just pulled out my cell phone. I got the Bible on there. I mean, if you have a smartphone, you just put the Bible on there. You can read your Bible anywhere you go. It's so, it's so cool. All right. What about meditation? Read the word, then meditate on it. We talked about what that is. He's mentally chewing the cud, pondering it, thinking about it. 
here's some things that will help you meditate on the word. If you think, well, I just read and then stop. I, I don't think. Um, maybe you should try this. Ask some questions of the text. You never get answers unless you ask questions. Try answer, asking questions. You know, ask yourself this. What is the main idea of this thing I just read? That, that'll produce something. Ask and say, what is the main theme of the book that I just read? And how does my text fit into that? You have to go maybe to a study Bible and see the outline of the book and kind of see how your thing figures out. And you go, oh, so it's talking about this at this time in this portion in this book. Ask, this is one of my favorites. What does this passage tell me about God? I love that one. That one just produces a whole truckload of goodies. Out of the passage. Or this one here. What does this tell me about God's response to man? Or man's response to God? Or what is the positive or negative example that I am seeing in this text? These kinds of questions help you find stuff to think about. So that when you're reading Leviticus, you don't get bored. Because you're thinking, cool. Whoa. Heavy. You know, instead of like, oh, fat in the kidneys, more fat in the kidneys, soothing aroma of the Lord, more fat in the kidneys. You know, because you're asking questions, you're going to see things in the text that you never saw before. Take a class on how to study the Bible. Why? Because that teaches you how to see things in the passage. It teaches you how to observe the text. You know, listen to expository preaching. You say, why is that? Well, if you listen to expository preaching, you're going to see things. You actually won't even see him. You'll just be taught things by exposure. You see, uh, I've had people come up to me and go, Pastor Jack, I went to another church and man, the guy didn't give me any context. See, I'm always used to you giving context. It's easy to say, what do I always do in my sermon? Here it is. I usually pray somewhere in there. And then I have a little opening statement. And then I give background and context. And then I read the text. And then I give you a proposition. And then I have the points. And you ever hear me say, look at the text, look at the text, look at the, only about 50 times every week. Why? Because I want you to look at the text and see what God says in the text. And then we look at the text, we make observations, we have interpretations, we then illustrate, we bring out the principles and the application. We go through the points, give you a conclusion at the end. Every single week. And now you're going, you, you do that, don't you? Every single week. And even though I haven't said, okay, now watch how I do it, all of you are learning by what? Example. So just listen to good teaching and preaching, and it will teach you even by example. But better than that, go on our website and listen to the How to Study the Bible series. Get a few people together. The lessons, you can print them off. You can listen to audio versions or go to a class. We can give you books. There's recommendations on there for other resources. There's lots of stuff. Everyone should do this. Everyone who names the name of Christ should be an expert in the Bible or be seeking to be an expert in the Bible. Take classes on preparing Bible studies. You've got that online too. Pray about what you are reading. Talk to God about it, you know. Pray like the psalmist says, show me wonderful things from your law and say, Lord, what does this mean? Why am I reading this? What does this tell, tell me here? What are you trying to communicate to me? What is, how is this important for, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness? How does this equip me for every good work? What do you want me to know from this? And God's going to say, listen, I'm not telling you. You think that's what he's going to say? No. You're going to say, oh. Oh, oh, and then you're going to be wandering out and look what I found in my Bible. Because, man, there's great stuff in there. I mean, think about Joshua 1.8. I've only been speaking on it for an hour. (laughs) And believe me, I spent pretty much most of the day, probably six hours yesterday, cutting stuff out of this sermon. Because, man, I was like, oh, what am I going to cut out? It's just so many goodies in here. I wanted to tell you everything every week. I can't do it. You know, but when I look at the passage, you say, you know, what do you see when you read the passage? This is what I see. Subject, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's a figure of speech. But you shall meditate on it, mentally chewing your cud. How often? The frequency, day and night. What purpose? So that you be careful to do all that is written in it. What's the benefit you drive from that? Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. I see things. I see structure. I see the main point, the sub point, the modifying phrases. I see that. Well, how do you get that? You take classes in studying the Bible. The other day we were, uh, Dave Jordan and I were sitting down and he goes, here, let me show you the code of this website. You know what it looked like to me? 
blah, 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 blah. I looked at that code and it just looked like a bunch of gibberish. Why? Because I've never studied code. So he's going, yeah, check this out. I'm saying, mm, it doesn't work for me. I don't understand any of that. And that's how it is. If you don't learn how to study the Bible, you look at the Bible and go, mm, I don't really understand that. But man, if I were to study code, I could look in there and go, oh, cool. Look how they constructed this you know, flash thing or whatever it is. Look at this cool little gadget here on the website. Look, oh, look at that code. Oh, why? Because now that I have some training, I can see things I never could see before. That's why you learn to study the Bible. So you can see things you never saw before. God is waiting to bless you if you're willing to just dig into the word. Make it your number one discipline that you make sure you get into place. So here it is, your homework. Keep praying in secret at least 10 minutes a day. Keep praying all day long. Try to ask God, talk to God about everything in your life all day long. Consider the discipline of fasting. It's an optional one. You don't have to do it, but we've already talked about the benefits of saying no to your eating or certain kinds of eating or just learning to control your appetites so your appetites don't control you. And finally, read and meditate on the word. Read and meditate on the word. Do this every single day. Do it a couple times a day. Bring it up in your mind. Purposely do it. Make it a priority in your life. God is wanting to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to know him, know his plan for the future. He wants you to know Christ. He wants to know your character. He wants to give you victory over sin. And it's just waiting for you. And he says, man, it's here, pal. For this way, it'll make your way prosperous. And this will give you success. Read your Bible. Meditate on it. There's more to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and goodness to us. Father, you are so good to show us that we all need to be meditating on your word day and night so that we will be careful to do all that is written in it. Father, we do want to make our way prosperous and we do want to have biblical success. So Father, help us not to neglect the most important of all disciplines, the discipline of getting into your word. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.